All right. Well, you guys, we are uh, in a series that we've started called Breakthrough. <laughs> and obviously, when it comes to us as a church and this facility issue, we need a breakthrough. We need God to be able to move on our behalf. And I've, I've shared with you throughout this whole year that, this, that the facility itself is one of those things that has not been anxious for me personally because I can't make that happen. And neither can you. But he can. He absolutely can. And so we're going to be looking at this today. But here's, here's the thing. As we talk about a breakthrough that we need with a facility, here's the other thing. You can't be human. You can't without at some point in your life needing a breakthrough where you and I need God to do something for us that we can't do. And now that could be in a relationship. That could be with your marriage or with your children. That could be a work relationship, extended family, whatever, <laughs> any relationship. Every one of us at sometimes is gonna need God to help us have a breakthrough in our relationships. It could be in a destructive pattern in your own life. Maybe you know that there's something that you, for whatever reason, can't stop doing. And you know, it's actually destructive to your relationships or to your own life, whether it's an addiction, uh, maybe it's an addiction of some sort. Or maybe it's just a struggle with emotional health. We did a whole series on trying to have God minister to our minds and to help us have a breakthrough with our emotional health. Or it could be with your faith. Here, here's, but here's what's true if you're human. There will be at times something that's inside of you that's hindering you. It's an opposition. It's opposing you and you can't overcome it. And as a human, there will be things outside of you that are completely outside of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's hindering you or opposing you or stopping you. And so today, the title for today's message is you need to turn to God. Duh. Yeah, yeah seriously, I've struggled a little bit with this, with, the, with this message. I told Susie and Ashlyn even again today, it's like, it's, 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 it's such a simple thing. But really, really, you need to turn to God. And the truth is, most of us don't. Or we don't know how. Or we struggle to do it. And we turn to so many other things instead of the one who can actually give us the breakthrough that we need. So I'm gonna share a story with you today that I love. I love this story. I, uh, I read through the book of Isaiah recently this year. And uh, this story is in Isaiah. It's also in 2 Chronicles and it's in, in 2 Kings too. But um, it's the story of Hezekiah. How many of you... Do not know the story of Hezekiah. Go ahead and raise your hand, okay? Hezekiah is not, how many of you have, know anybody named Hezekiah? You do? You have two, three people? I've never known a Hezekiah before. That's super cool. Because when you understand what the name is, the name means God is my strength or God strengthens me. That's what Hezekiah means. Well, I'm gonna, let me just give you a little, I'm gonna give you some background to this story. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. Um, there was one nation, right, Israel. There were 12 tribes. 
And eventually they were divided and we had Israel, the Northern kingdom, and then Judah, the Southern kingdom. Hezekiah is a king of Judah, the Southern kingdom. And during his reign, Assyria is the big mega power. Okay, they are the superpower in the world. King Sennacherib. Okay, I try. I, I looked it up and I had it actually pronounced to me, and I still can't say it right. Okay, it looks like Sennacherib, but uh, it's Sennacherib. It's, it's how it's actually done. He is the king. Now, what's happened is Assyria has already come and taken Israel, the northern kingdom, into exile. Okay, they're done. Those tribes are gone, the lost tribes of Israel. And so now we have Judah. And what happens is Assyria now starts to come towards Judah. And it says, and this is, this is crazy because it's actually not in the scriptures, but in his annals, in, in the actual history records of Sennacherib, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering that name, so forgive me. The king of Assyria in his annals, 46 fortified cities. So fortified cities were, were your strong cities, the one that had walls and defenses. He had already taken out 46 of Judah's fortified cities, and now they were right on the doorstep of Jerusalem. And they're standing outside of Jerusalem, and their commander starts yelling out to them so that everybody can hear. Because he's trying to freak out the city, and he's trying to freak out Hezekiah. And then he says things like this. This is, I'll be honest with you, this is where I wish I could just read so much scripture to you tonight, but we would never have time. So, but you, you should read this story. It's fantastic. But this commander comes out and he says, with your tiny little army, he goes, who are you trusting? Why are you coming against me? Are you trusting Egypt? Egypt is like a reed that if you leaned on it, the splinters would cut right through your hands. You can't trust Egypt. And then he says to all the people, don't let Hezekiah tell you that the Lord will rescue us. The Lord himself told us to attack this land and destroy it. The Lord you are trusting. He's the one who told us to come and take you down. And then he says, and have any of the gods, have the gods of any nation ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? You guys, and at this point, the answer was no. The king of Assyria had taken every nation down. And then he said, the king of Assyria completely destroys everyone who has ever stood in their way. And you know what? It was true. Hezekiah knew it was true. And now, here's little Judah with their tiny army, and they're surrounded by the superpower, Assyria. And they needed a breakthrough. So what does Hezekiah do? Now I'm gonna give you a little backstory, okay? Because we need to understand what Hezekiah had grown up with, what he had seen throughout his lifetime. Here's the backstory. Israel and Judah had developed a practice of turning away from God and looking to other things. That's what Hezekiah saw. As a kid, his dad, Ahaz, whew, the king of Judah, man, did he turn away from God. So they turned away from God and there's three things that they turned to. 
And when you read the book of Isaiah, this is what you see. And God is constantly crying out to his people. Like I want to, I believe with all my heart, he wants to cry out to us today. And he's asking you, please, seriously, for us as a church and for you with whatever it might be that feels like it's impossible for you to break through, who are you turning to? And the whole book of Isaiah, God is like, why won't you turn to me? So what do they turn to? They turn to other gods. Obviously, they turn to idols. Now, here's what's interesting is they turned to these idols before the opposition ever came. Okay, that's really important for us today. Their MO before, like when things were fine and things were good, that's when they started turning away from God and they started looking at other idols. But in 2 Kings 17, 7, it says this, all this took place. Now, all this was the destruction of Israel. It was the destruction of the Northern kingdom. It was destruction, taking them into exile so that they didn't exist anymore. And he says, and all of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they worshiped other gods. Now notice how this says, it wasn't just that he was their God. He was the God who brought them out of Egypt under the power of Pharaoh. What are you guys doing? He's saying, I'm the one who rescues you. I'm the one who's all powerful. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who set you free. I'm the one who had a promised land. But they worshiped other gods. And then it says, and Judah did the same thing. And believe me, Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, it was horrible. What did the worship look like? Man, they built high places. High places were, were basically, you know, if you, if you remember, um, God made it really clear. Here's the temple. My presence is in the temple. You come to worship me in the temple. That's it. But what they would do is they would, whenever there were high places, like, like when there were hills or mountains, they would create other places of worship and they just started worshiping other gods all over the place. Sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill, it said. They created their own gods, melted down silver and made gods. They worshiped Baal and they even sacrificed their own children into the fire. There was prostitution happening during the worship. They had completely turned away to God from God and they started worshiping these other gods. Now, what do you, you and I do when, when we hear stuff like that? Anybody melt down your gold and silver? Anybody have a golden calf on your, on your, you know, on your mantle at home? No, that's not what we do. But here's the truth. Every person worships something. Every human being is worshiping something. And it's whatever we look to, to fulfill us, to satisfy us, to give us our value, to protect us. You guys, it's whatever we believe at our core will give us the life that we're looking for. How can you know what your God is? It's what we're devoted to. What are you devoted to? What will you not miss? When it comes down to make a decision, 
with what you're going to do with your money, with what you're going to do with your time, with what you're going to do with your energy and the giftedness with who you are. What drives your decision? What gets your time and your energy and your resources? What you're devoted to above all things? That's your God. That's your God. So what are you turning to today? See, because remember, these guys turned away from God towards these other things because they believed that that was going to be the best thing for their life. And they did this before the opposition actually came. So what are our gods that we turn to? Money, possessions, success, prestige, relationships. Romantic relationships can be our God. Our kids can be our God. Work obviously can be our God. Pleasure, pleasure can be our God. And that can take whatever form is pleasurable for you. Entertainment, hobbies, sports, music. You know, even even the government and politics can become our God. The thing that we look to, what's gonna give us our life? Man, I tell you, this took place because the Israelites had turned away from God and they worshiped other things beside him. Here's what he said. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and an outstretched arm is the one you must worship. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. It is he who will deliver you. See, here's the crazy thing. Like sometimes, and I've talked to people, it's like, man, why is God so egocentric? Why is he so demanding that we must serve him and worship him? It's like, that guy's got a problem. He doesn't have a problem. He knows he's the only one who will always do what's right for you, who only is good for you, who always loves you, who only knows what your deepest heart's desire is. He's the one who knows why you're here. And he knows if you turn away from him and start worshiping other things, all those other things at some point will not be able to deliver you. They will let you down. People will be gone. You can lose your job. You can lose your health. You can lose everything else that you look to for your life. So you guys, don't don't ever think that God's up there just going, I don't want just being it all about me. He's like, no, God wants it to be all about him because he's all about you. He is love. And that's why we worship him. Why no other gods? Because there isn't any other God. There's no other absolute power, not even the king of Assyria. There's no other absolute power. There's no one who loves you perfectly like he does. There's no one who knows who you are and what your purpose is. And there's no one else who can give you life. No one else can give you the breakthrough you need, but God can. So be careful. If you don't need a breakthrough right now, oh man, please be careful. This is the time when we turn away from him. 
This is the time when it's like, man, these things are good. And next thing you know, you've just drifted away and you're not even following him anymore. You still might believe in him, but you're not giving your life to him anymore. God has created us for this and he longs for that. So number one, and most importantly, they turn to other gods. There's two other things though, more quickly. They also turn to themselves. And that's what we do too. Look at this, Isaiah 22, verse eight says this. The Lord stripped away the defenses of Judah and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. So basically what God is saying is, listen, I've already, I've already stripped away your defenses, but you still didn't look to me. What did you do? Hey, wait a second. In the palace of the forest, that was the royal armory. So immediately what they said was, well, let's go get some weapons. Assyria's coming. Now, is that not wise to go get some weapons? Okay. So they go get their weapons. The, the wall also needed repair. So they were actually tearing down some of their homes so they'd have the resource to rebuild the wall. And then they were storing up water and they were making reservoirs. They were doing everything that you should do if you're gonna be under siege. But here's what God says. He goes, I stripped away your defenses He goes, but you did not. And he goes, and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace, but you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. I'll be honest with you. I don't think God was probably upset that they were getting prepared. What was he saying though? You're totally relying on your own strength. You're still not looking to me. You actually think against the king of Assyria that if you build up your walls and have some water, that you're going to win? Now, should you build up your walls and have water? Yes. He goes, but you're not looking to me. Hey, can I just ask you, when you meet your opposition, how much effort are you doing without looking to him? You know, I was thinking, what do we do? Well, we have meetings and then we think about it. Don't we? Oh, we like to think about it. Don't you like to think about your problem? It's amazing to me how much I think about my problem. And then we're going to figure this out. And then we're going to work harder. We're going to try harder. I, we talk about this as a staff all the time. We have to catch ourselves all the time. Should we work hard? Yes. Should we try hard? Yes. Should we prepare? Yes. But Are we looking to the one? Do we believe that we're gonna get ourselves out of this or are we looking to him? And I wanna tell you, God very clearly says, don't turn to yourself. You don't have the power. You don't have the power. Turn to me. And then the other thing we do is when that doesn't work, what do you do? You turn to others. (laughs) It's amazing to me. After I've fretted, then I go to poor Susie and make her fret right? And I talk to her and I call some friends and I talk to people. And that's what they did. They turned to other nations. So again, instead of turning to God, they were like, we need help. So what they do, Isaiah 30 verse one, it says, what sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. Listen to this. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances that weren't directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. 
For without consulting me, you've gone down to Egypt for help. You've put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You have tried to hide in his shade. Did you hear what, did you hear what God's saying? You made plans contrary to mine. You know why? Because they never even went to God to find out what his plans were. And then they couldn't figure out how to do it themselves. So they're like, man, we need some help. We better go to Egypt. You did stuff that was not directed by my spirit and you moved without consulting me. Hey, can I ask you a question? How many of you move without consulting God? (laughs) Isn't it crazy? You guys, we do stuff all the time, especially when it's difficult. And here's the God who loves us, the God who cares for you, the God who wants to protect you and provide for you. And what are we doing? We go off on our own without him. We read books. We go to seminars. We get counseling. And I do. And I still should do that. I believe we all should do that. I go to Susie. I go to my friends. I, go to, I have coaches. I have mentors. I go to them. But here's the question. Are they pointing me to God? And am I asking for what God actually wants for me to do? Or am I trusting just human beings? Man, I'm telling you, in this story, the whole book of Isaiah, he was saying, you guys, you're my people. I created you for me. Why are you going to other things, things of the world? Why are you trying to do this yourself? Why are you looking to others when I'm right here and I'm your God? Look at this is so good. Isaiah 30. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Sit with this for a second. Do you hear that? Can I? Okay, I know you just came to church and it's just a message, but listen for a second. The God who loves you is telling you something really important. It's in resting in me. Only, only in returning to me and resting in me in quietness so you can hear what I'm saying. Are you ever quiet so you can hear what God is saying? And in your trust in me is your strength. If you don't turn to me and you turn to yourself, the world, others, it's not going to happen. I am the one you need to return to. And then look what it says. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll get our help from Egypt. (laughs) That's so human, man. And God's like, okay, this is the story. You know, I read, I remember I used to be so afraid of the prophets when I was younger because I'm like, man, they're just saying so many hard things. But what you realize is all God was saying is, I love you so much. Why don't you turn to me? Man, and then if they don't, he goes, all right. And he does the same thing to us. All right, go for it. 
And the beautiful thing, he's here. So what's Hezekiah do, you guys? He's grown up in a whole culture of people, turning to themselves, turning to other gods, turning to, to Egypt. And Hezekiah, when he became king, he wiped out all of the high places, all of the idols, and he restored worship back into the temple to God. You know, in the original threats of the commander, so let's go back to Hezekiah, Assyria standing at Jerusalem. It says, when the original threats came from him, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and he went into the temple of the Lord. That's a sign of humility. Just got it. <sighs> Putting on sackcloth, coming into the temple, getting on his knees before God. And then he sent messages to Isaiah. And he said, Isaiah, go to God and see if he will move on our behalf. Isaiah, pray. I'm going to pray. In fact, that's what it says. And the scripture says, then King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, cried out in prayer to God in heaven. Then after this, the king of Assyria sends him a letter. And in the letter, he says, don't let your God, Hezekiah, listen, don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. Don't trust your God. And then he goes on. I didn't have time to put all. He just goes, because we've taken everybody down and we're taking you down. And then look at this. What did Hezekiah do when the opposition was greater than him? In chapter 37, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. Isn't that a cool picture? Oh God, here's the letter from the king of Assyria. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. And while he was praying, Isaiah, who was praying, sent a message to him. And then in verse 21 says, and then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah because he'd been praying. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Because you prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord has spoken against him. And here's what God said. Oh, this is so good. Hezekiah. You didn't turn to other gods. You didn't turn to yourself. You didn't turn to others. You actually came to me. Then here's what I say. He will not. This is God, what God says to Sennacherib. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David. Isn't that awesome? Because what happens when you just read a book or talk to a friend or they don't have this power, man? What happens when you keep trying harder? You don't have the power, but you go to God and God goes, I have the power. Here's the craziest thing. Then the angel of the Lord went out 
and he put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. <laughs> Come on, man, that's freaky. Dude, they, 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 they woke up and there were 185,000 dead men laying outside the camp. That's our God. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp. He withdrew and he returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. Dad, way to go. Yeah. Now, now, let me just say this very clearly. We also know that every time we go to God, he doesn't slay 185,000 people. But can he? Can he? He is the one true almighty God. And Hezekiah believed it and he put his faith in that. What does this story tell us? That people are prone to turn to other things, man. We worship this world. We go after stuff that's not of God. But it also tells us that God wants to be our true God, our deliverer and our protector. And it tells us that he is more powerful than anything. So what do we do? What do we do? Now, right, Jesus said, okay, great. So hear my word and good message and then go home. No, hear my word and... Put it into practice. He says, if you take my word and put it into practice, you will be like the man who built his house on the rock. And the storms come and the winds blow and you will stand firm. If you hear this word of mine and you don't put it into practice, then you're a foolish person and you're gonna build your house on the sand. If you are turning to anything besides God, it's a foolish thing. The same storms will come. Every one of us will face them and your life will crash. So what do we do? Here's what's so great. Real quick, 1 Peter chapter five. This is the perfect of what we do. Number one, he says what? 1 Peter five, there he is. Humble yourselves, humble yourselves. And I, as I was studying you guys, this is the one thing I really felt like I needed to tell you guys today. Humble yourselves now, now, okay? The Israelites and Judah didn't humble themselves. They turned away from God and they worshiped the things of the world before the opposition came. And then it says, because they did that. So humble yourselves now. If you've turned away from God and you're serving other idols and you're turning to other things, today's your day. Today's your chance to turn back to God, okay? Humble yourselves. What Hezekiah do? He tore his clothes, sackcloth on his knees. Now, if you're facing a great opposition, he quit looking to other gods. He quit looking to himself. He quit looking to others. Quit trying to control your situation or figure it out on your own. Humble yourselves. And then what? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. I just So basically what you're doing here, you guys, lift him up. If you lift him up, he'll lift you up. Isn't that cool? There's a good phrase. You can remember that one. That's a catchy one. Lift him up and he'll lift you up. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. That's what Hezekiah did. Did you hear his prayer? 
You, Lord, are enthroned over all of the kingdoms of the earth. He lifted, he put himself down. He lifted God to his rightful place as the mighty God. And I want to tell you, I've been telling you this all year long. This is why almost every morning I sit with God and I remind myself, you can only love me. It's all you can do. You can only be good. You're always working for the good. You can only do what's right. God can't make a, right, a wrong decision. He can't. And he's almighty and no one can thwart him. Man, humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up tomorrow. No, in due time. <laughs> in due time. Therefore, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So humble yourself, turn away from those other things, turn to God, and then lay your letter out before him. I love that picture. That's exactly what Hezekiah did. He goes, God, this guy's more powerful than me. He's going to take us down. And he laid his letter out before the mighty God. And your God today is saying, do the same thing. Lay your letter out before me. Cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. Man, that's beautiful. Let's do it. And then he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You guys, we have to be so alert because the enemy, what did Jesus say about our enemy? He called him the father of lies. All he does, he can't get us. He, we belong to Jesus. He can't get us. So what does he do? He lies to us all the freaking time about who God is. You can't trust him. Don't you love what, the, what, the, what, the, what Hezekiah, or I mean, uh, Snickerib said in his letter? Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises. Oh man, how often do you guys hear that voice? Don't trust God. Trust the world, trust your ability, trust finances, trust the government. Oh my Lord, what are we doing? What are we doing? And then COVID comes and everybody's, oh my gosh, life's gonna die. It's like, who's your God? Who's your God? Oh, this person got elected into office. Ah, who's your God? Who's your hope in? Man, I tell you, the enemy, he's gonna tell you, you figure this out, you can do it. Turn to other gods, turn to yourself, turn to others. God, your God and his promises are not trustworthy. And the scripture says, be alert, baby, be of sound mind. If you're drifting away from God and starting to turn to other things, the enemy's at work. And what's he wanna do? He wants, he's looking for someone to devour. He's looking to put you building your house on sand so that when the storm comes, you'll crash. And he's ruthless and he's relentless. Turn to God. Humble yourself. Lift him up. Lift him up. That's why we're going to worship here in a second. Lift him up. And then he will lift you up. Cast your cares on him and resist the enemy's lies to get caught up in the things of this world. And then verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's hard to trust God, isn't it? Ben, come on up. We're going to, here, here, so here's what, here's what um, Jesus told us to do on a regular basis. He goes, it's going to be hard for you to trust me because you can't see me. How do you know he's working? How do you know he loves you? How do you know that he's good? How do you know that everything he's going to do is right? You know how we know? Jesus said, on a regular basis, you need to remember me. You need to remember me. So we're going to take communion together, okay? So if you didn't get a little communion cup, would you uh, just raise your hand real quick and we'll make sure that you get one if we can pass those out. You throw me one, babe. Thanks. Let's make sure everybody has one of these. There's a little cellophane thing on the top if you've never used these before. So here's what, here's what Jesus said. He said, this is my body that's given for you. This is my body given for you. Remember this. You guys, and when I think about this, especially in light of today, this is Jesus, what he's saying is, this is my life. I give you my life. That's what I'm giving to you. This is how we know, you guys, what love is. God says, this is how you know what love is. That while you were still sinners, Jesus Christ would lay down his life for you. He would give his life for you. So the question is, if he would give his life for us, then when we're facing something hard and we have an opposition, does he just, is he not interested anymore? Is he not present anymore? I love what it says in Romans 8, 32. God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You guys, the body of Christ given for you is how you can know that he's with you, he loves you, and he's for you. You can trust him. You can trust the one who would give his life for you, okay? Let's take and eat and remember Christ giving his life for us. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sin. So here's, in, in light of today's message, I, I just think before you drink this, take a moment and sit with God. And when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Have you turned away from God? And have you started serving other gods? Is your job or your family or money, or your recreation, or anything, getting your devotion more 
than God. And if it is, that's called sin, you guys. That's the number one commandment of all things. Have no other gods before me. Now, here's what's cool. is Jesus says, if you have, then confess that to me. And turn, repent, means turn back to me. He goes, if you confess that sin, I'll forgive you and I will cleanse you. He will set you free tonight. So let's take and let's drink in remembrance of Christ who forgives us of all our sin. Oh God, thanks for a chance to remember who you are tonight. Thanks for a chance to remember that there's nothing we face that you aren't more powerful than. There's nothing, nothing that we face that you aren't interested in, that you care about because you care for us, because you love us. We remember that, God. And we turn to you tonight. We turn away from the things that lured us away from full devotion to you. And we turn back to you tonight. Take our worship now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So guys, go ahead and stand and we're gonna worship now. I love this song. It says, here I am down on my knees again, desperate for you. That's Hezekiah. He was desperate for God. And so he was on his knees before him. And with arms stretched wide, I know you hear my cry. That was Hezekiah. Jesus, breathe within and have your way with me. Let's turn to God right now and worship. Let's humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Let's lift him up so he'll lift us up. Let's do it. <laughs>